Howdy. Welcome to the 127 on the Mic podcast. This sermon was recorded by our college pastor, John Davison, as we walk through our sex and dating series for 2024. We hope you enjoy. If you haven't joined us before, welcome to the sex and dating series. And that's how some of you, that posture that you just take right then. Let me, let me pray for you and then let's, uh, let's go into this. Uh, God, we trust you. Again, we've, we've prayed this prayer, but we trust you uh, with the direction tonight in what is honestly a sensitive topic um, that people come into this room carrying hurts or maybe carrying expectations or desires. Some of those things line up really clearly with your word and some of them don't. And so we're trusting you tonight by your spirits to bring healing in places, to bring clarity, to bring hope, to breathe peace by your spirit, to guide us with your word, to sanctify us even in our dating relationships by your word because we know that it's truth. And so would you just run before us as we engage with this topic? Would you guide us? We trust you to do so in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter seven is where we're going to land. But this is, let me cover the, the sex part of this first in a sex and dating series. And I'm just gonna read some verses to you. 1 Thessalonians four, verse three, just hear this. For, for this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. It's a good foundation for us to lay that the Bible is going to prescribe some direction when it comes to the, like your sex life, your sexual orientation, all of those things, but it's prescribing them to believers. And so unbelievers if in this room, if you're like, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, most of this is gonna found, sound foreign to you, weird to you, not, you're not gonna wanna apply it to your life. I'm relieving that pressure. And, and I'm like begging the Lord to save you and put this pressure on you. But, but this is to believers, okay? This is the first. And he's like, hey, keep away from sexual morality. Hebrews 13, we've been walking through Hebrews sort of. We're gonna get to this verse in about a year. Hebrews 13, verse four. Marriage is to be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers. He's saying like, if, if you can't control yourself, if you can't control your response to sexual things, the, the, the measure or the, the hope biblically is not just go sleep around. The hope is not to develop some sort of like safe porn habit. It's a weird word. The goal is, is not to just like push the bounds so that you satisfy some of the sexual desires and then save the rest of it for marriage. This is not what it's saying. Marriage is to be honored by all and the bed kept undefiled. And really, like, if you can't control yourself, you're sitting in the room and you're going, John, you don't understand. My, like, my sexual habit's just through the roof. Like, I have this desire I can't control. This is what Paul says, and we're gonna get to this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter seven. But if they do not have self-control, comma, they should marry. Since it is better to marry than to burn with desire. And so biblically, you come to me and you're like, I, I have this, this desire in me that I can't control. Lust through the roof addiction through the roof. I'm like, well, the Bible says you gotta find a wife. You gotta find a husband. Let's do that. That makes it weird for me, so I know. It's not the play that I normally want to, like matchmaking is, I'm not great at it. And so, but that's what we have here. And some of you are like, am I even ready for that? We're gonna address whether or not you're ready for it here in a second. But when I, when I read this verse, when I read Paul's call to the Corinthians, that call is pointless if anything outside of, or anything outside of marriage sexually is right. That, like, that his call to them to be like, hey, if you can't control yourself, then marriage is that option. Otherwise, he would have said, okay, I, I understand you have this desire. You can go this far. 
This is safe, okay? Everything outside of the clothes, that's safe, all right? You can lay down, but keep your clothes on. He doesn't do that. He says, flee from it, run from it, because there's only one space biblically prescribed for anything sexual, and it is in the confines of marriage. Now, I, I say that to you aggressively because the Bible's really clear about it. But I also know in this room that there are things that as I say that, that you have gone through in your life, that you have experienced, that you have fallen into temptation and or sin, and regrettably these things have happened to you, and you go, okay, now what? Like I walk into the room and it just went from like here we were worshiping and I was pretty excited about tonight and now I feel horrible. I get that. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. He does not despise a broken and a humble heart. He does not. And so when you, when you hear that and you go, man, the weight of shame just rested upon me. Here's your promise. You have an advocate with the creator. You have an advocate with the father who is our Lord Jesus Christ who became a sacrifice and atonement, what the Bible says, a propitiation for your sins. First John chapter two, one and two, my little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. This is a good promise. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. And he says, you can trust this. I understand that you've fallen short. And yes, the Bible's real, just like real clear about sexual sin, but it's also real clear that he has made a way for you to experience the righteousness of Christ, the peace of Christ, the comfort of the Father because of what Jesus has done. And so John 8, 11, when, when the, like the condemned woman is laid before Jesus and he's like, hey, you without without sin, throw the first stone and he lets the room breathe and the old guys start walking away first. And then he's like, hey, anybody throw a stone? Okay, no one, is, it, is anyone condemning you? No one's condemning you? Jesus says to her, well, neither do I. But then he, he calls her to something after that. He says, go and sin no more. And so this is important, that, that weight that you're feeling that the entire world feels because of the way that God has designed sex and to, to take place in the confines of marriage. So people feel guilty, even unbelievers, when they practice sexual things outside of marriage and they have to fight really loudly to defend it. They feel guilty in that, so does she, but Jesus just, just doesn't say, hey, like, I understand that you've sinned, I don't condemn you. Change. Go and sin no more. Surround yourself with people that can help you with this. And so here, the, the S part of the sex and dating series the sex one's pretty easy. As a believer in the room, quit. There's no space for it. You're not gonna win the argument in any way, shape, or form with any kind of biblical gymnastics. You will not. If this is a problem for you, surround yourself with people that you trust and love who will encourage you to run from that thing, okay? Pretty straightforward. Maybe a little bit aggressive, but it needs to be because as a church, we often wreck this. Now, why... Do we still do this series and include like the sex part of the sex and dating? One, because it's a really good gift from God. We teach our boys this. They have these things that they've memorized that we call the boys to men club. And one of them is sex is a good gift from God. But it's a sin outside of marriage. 
That first commandment, a lot of you have heard me talk about this, be fruitful and multiply. That's what it is. Subdue the earth, be fruitful and multiply. It's a great day at the office. That's what Jesus calls you to at the beginning. And so it's a, an incredible gift from God and he also made it a lot of fun. There wasn't any amens in the room, thankfully. It's a lot of fun, okay? Just hold on to that. And so in that, the enemy has used it to bring about shame and difficulty, and often it's broken because of this thing culturally that we call dating. This is the other side of this, and here's the problem. The Bible says zero things about dating. Dating's really about 100 years old, that's it. The Bible talks about romance, talks about sex, talks about love, it talks about marriage, and how we have to align our lives with what God says about all of these things. We gotta understand it, then apply it, and so we look at the Bible for help and here's the problem, dating involves loving someone else. Really outside of your relationship with Jesus, who you date is the most important relationship that you have, why? Because first dates lead to marriage. Just write it down. First dates lead to marriage. Now, not always, thankfully. They don't always lead to marriage. I, I Googled some of this and man, don't Google this. This is a dangerous game to play. But. I Googled terrible first dates. The first time I dated someone from a dating app, the date turned out to be a recruiting event for a pyramid scheme. <laughs> Pretty good. I'm gonna skip this one because this, this, this will make the, the boys in the, the room grunt. It'll be a good one. So uh, a guy invites me to a party, I ask a few questions, but he's kind of vague. He tells me to dress nice. It ends up being a family reunion. He told his family I was his girlfriend. I went with it. It's uh, nice. I mean, that's kind of the only play at that point. She, she wanted me to pretend it was her birthday so that she could get a free dessert. I thought it was a joke until dinner ended, ended and she got up from the table and said, all right, I'm going to the bathroom. Call the waiter over and tell him it's my birthday. I didn't, and when she got back, she legitimately got mad at me and left. It's a good play. I had a first date with a girl who told me, actually, I'm engaged. But I'm not 100% sure if he's the right one, so I'm gonna go out on a few more dates to see if I change my mind. I'm glad that that's the response in the room right now. That's good, all right, we're in a, we're in a really good spot. Okay, this happened to a friend, not to me. This is the story, context. My friend has a beard. So, you know, it's one of the metrics for dating. All right, so, so my friend picks up this girl. <laughs> so my friend picks up this girl. They're on their way to dinner, and she says, you do realize that if this is gonna work, you have to shave that off. He didn't say anything. He just turned around and dropped her off at her house. <laughs> Yep, I, I read this to the residents just to get their response to this because this one's wild. We went up to a scenic outlook over the city. He came up behind me and put his hands over my belly and said, I can't wait till there's a, this is swollen with my seed. I, it's like, somebody's like, what? Y'all don't, don't know what to do with that. I don't, 
Some of you are explaining it. Because like your homeschool friend is like, what is that? Okay, here, here it is. Thank you for that. I blame the residents for that one. Um, at the end of that story says that she ran away in her high heels to a payphone. I don't, I don't understand like why did you didn't use your phone phone at that point. But if if you want to get married, then you have to get engaged. Now, you're like yeah. The, the girls in the room, I know, like, the engagement side of that really excites you, and it should, until you Google, like, where that came from. Ancient Rome and Egypt gave that person a ring as a sign of ownership. She was off the market. No one else can have that one. That one's mine. Again, we've redeemed part of this, and the girls in the room just went, oh, no. Um, the... The, the cool part about dating is there's some aspects of this that we've redeemed. The, the challenge is, though, is you got to go from to get to married, you got to get to engaged. To get to engaged, you got to like, know that you love this person. To know that you love this person, you got to spend time with this person. And culturally, we call that dating. And the reason that we do this series is because who you marry is the most important decision that you're going to make outside of following Jesus. And in that, it's also one of those decisions that we would say from a, from a church front that it's a decision that can't be undone. Now, you're in, a, you're in a stage of life where you can change your major. You can change like your location. You can move to a different place. You're gonna, <clears throat> you're gonna graduate and you can probably change jobs pretty quickly. You can change roommates. You can change your hairstyle. You can change clothes. Who you marry is not the thing that you can change really easily. And if you do decide to change it, it's probably going to be the most difficult thing that you've ever done. And so this is important. As we lay a foundation, a runway at, through dating to get you to marriage, it's important that we maybe understand this. And, and here's the average. For the world, women get married at 28.6 years of age, men at 30.5. Some of you are like, I got all the time in the world. It's okay, sitting by a bunch of guys. It's fine. As if there was a girl beside him, you would have heard like. Uh, now, eliminate the rest of the world and do the statistics or the studies that are just towards Christians. The average Christian woman gets married at 22. The average Christian guy gets married at 25. Which, which means some of you, let me make this wild, some of you are about to pick your family. You're like, what? You seen who I'm surrounded by? Yeah, and I'm gonna be really impressed on who you pick. Some of you are about to choose your family because the person that you pick is going to be the mother or the father of your babies who are going to be the mothers and fathers of your grandbabies and so on and so forth. Big, important decision. The person who you're going to spend more time with than any other person on the planet you're about to pick or you've already chosen. And since culture has developed this dating idea, then it would be wise for us to help define maybe some terms that you can walk in because here is my fear. 
in, in our current digital age, there's a million things flying at you all the time. What it used to look like was there were these things printed on paper. They called them the newspaper. And people would bring them to your house and put them on your porch. And then your good dog would go and pick it up and bring it to you in your chair. And you would open it and you would read it and your family would read it. Often from the beginning to the end. From like politics to local news to sports. The weather was in there because you, I mean, you could walk outside and look. But now it's like, hey, my Apple Watch tells me that it's currently 44 degrees outside. Man, it's cold. Um, Low of 31 tonight. Like, I, like this is how it, this happens. But you used to have to open it up. You're like, what were the sports scores? I don't, I don't have Sports Center. I don't have the notification that pops up to say that the Astros lost again. We just have this, we have this thing. This is how this used to go. Now, you pull a device from your pocket that we call a phone that is not even a phone anymore because none of you call anybody. And information comes flying at you at some sort of light speed. And if it doesn't work, you think that Jesus doesn't love you anymore. <laughs> and you get to pick and choose what you want to engage with. I, I, read, I heard this and then I read this also that 66% of Gen Z, your generation, gets their, they do their searching, they get their information from TikTok. You're, you're using TikTok as a search engine. Some of you are like, not me, all right, but the person you want to date probably is. And so I need you to hear this, which means this. You go like, I want to know this. And you get, you think it, and somehow your, your phone knows that you thought it. And then it, it pops up. And then you get sucked into this world where five to 30 second videos grab your attention. And they're no longer peer reviewed. They're no longer sourced. It was just like some you know, semi-attractive 20-year-old girl underneath some nice studio lights with a cool filter on her face is teaching you how to bake cookies. And, and you learn how to bake cookies from her in 30 seconds and you feel really good about yourself. And 30 minutes later, your legs are asleep on the toilet and you're watching pickleball videos. You're like, how did I, why am I watching these guys do this? And how did I get here? What used to happen is you would go stand beside grandma and you would beg her for the cookie recipe. And she would go, watch me. And you would write it down on a note card, grandma's cookies. And you would spend time with her and you would understand the cookie recipe and the heart that goes into it and the steps. But, but now this is how you get your information and this is what this has done to you without you knowing it. But I see it, I see it a lot in the church. I see it even more outside of the church, thankfully. But this is what happens. Because you've rewired your brain that in five seconds you can swipe to the next video and sometimes it's better and sometimes it's worse, but if it's worse, you can go to the next one anyway. And now your dating habits are that. And you go, this was good, but there's probably something better. Oh, that one wasn't so good. Oh, this one's pretty good. But you, you've rewired it to think that something better is coming because of some AI-generated cookie recipe that comes flying at you that leads you to pickleball? And you can't figure out how to like zoom into the, the biblical idea of dating and what God may be calling you to. And as I was preparing for this and thinking about this, this question was rising up like, hey, are these people even ready to date? Um, because most of, the, most of you in the room aren't dating somebody. I, just think, I know that that's true. And so you're wondering, you're wondering like, hey, what's next? How, how can I get ready for that? And this is where we go to 
1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're just going to read, I think we'll read the first seven verses and then we'll, we'll dive in. There's a lot fixing to happen here. We're not going to address all of it, but it's good. <laughs> now, in response to the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to use a woman for sex. But because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. And each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise, likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Now, a lot of you get irritated at that and think that it's talking about sexual slavery. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying that a husband can't do everything sexually that he wants to. He's under the confines of his wife's order. And so he can't just go and like, hey, I have the sexual desire. I'm gonna go satisfy it outside of the house. No, I belong to my wife. And so that's where I go for this. Verse five, do not deprive one another except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Verse six, I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all people were as I am, but each has his own gift from God. One person has this gift, another has that. This gift that Paul is talking about is his singleness. What he's saying is like, I wish that everybody was single like me. And the argument's pretty valid. His, his ministry, he has a lot more time. He doesn't have some things that are holding him down. Missions becomes easier. Moving from place to place becomes easier. He doesn't have to worry about feeding his kids. He just has to worry about feeding himself. But this is not the prescription. It actually goes against like a biblically mandated order to be fruitful and multiply. Now I know some of you are gonna be like, God has called me to be single. Bless the Lord for that. Run after that. If you wholeheartedly believe that, then do that, please. Okay, but if it's sin based in fear that you're afraid of like girls or you're afraid of boys and you're afraid of getting hurt, we're gonna deal with some of those things, then you're probably living in sin because fear is not from the Lord. But if you know, man, I'm not in fear, I'm just called to run this race really fast without anybody holding me down, then do that, please, and let us watch. It's gonna be fun to see like the impact that you make around the world. But I would also argue that the Lord uses the family, the husband and the wife and their kids in really, really powerful ways to live life on mission. And so neither one of those are better. But this is just what Paul is saying. I wish that they were like me, single. And then in verse 35 of chapter seven, just fast forward, because this helps us kind of connect these dots. I am saying this for your own benefit not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. And, and what Paul is saying by going, I wish you were this way, but hey, I'm not saying this to you to hold you down, but I want you to be devoted to the Lord. He's saying that in seasons of singleness, which a majority of people in this room are, you can't waste singles of, season, of singleness. In fact, you need to be preparing for what's next. And so as a single person in the room, what are you doing to prepare for what God is calling you to? How are you preparing? And here's some things that I wrote down that can maybe help you in your preparation for singleness to be prepared to get ready to date, okay? So when we talk about what does it mean to wait well, to get ready for dating, prepare. The first one, my relationship with Jesus has to be your priority. Make it personal. My relationship with Jesus has to be my priority. Singleness is a great season to focus on God without a lot of other layers added to it. You go on mission trips. You have longer quiet times. You use this time wisely to serve and to love other people, to grow in your relationship with Jesus. Don't waste the season of singleness that God has you in. Another thing that you can be doing during this season is deal with the hurts that you have in your life. 
This is an important one. We talked about it today. I love how this connects. If you're in service this morning, the Bible calls you to forgive over and over and over. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. You cannot, I will talk about this with, with any of you that we do premarital with, hopefully one day, it's like everybody in the room, they're just running after the Lord together in marriage. I'm gonna ask you this question. Who are the people in your life that you have not forgiven? Because you cannot bring unforgiveness into a marriage. Why? If you develop the habit of picking up hurts and holding on to them, then you are exercising bitterness in your life. And if you do it to those that you don't necessarily care about or even those that maybe you've loved for a season and they're no longer in your life because of this, then you're probably going to do it to your spouse one day and it's going to be much more painful. If, if that's gonna be your most intimate relationship, that also means that the hurts are deeper. And if you can start the, the practice of forgiving people who hurt you now, it's gonna be easier in marriage. Because I promise you, when you get married, you're gonna get hurt. Within the first week, he or she's gonna do something to tick you off. And, and you're, if you don't know how to handle that, if you haven't been practicing it, it's gonna develop bitterness in your life towards them right off the bat. Billy Graham in his book on marriage was asked like, hey, what makes a great marriage? And his response is pretty simple. Two people that are great at forgiveness. That's it. What makes a great marriage? Two people who are great at forgiveness. So deal with the hurts in your life now. Where are you walking in unforgiveness? What relationships do you need to make right before you pursue the most important relationship? And then another one, deal with your toxic habits. What, the, the way to think about this, like what sin do you have in your life right now that you struggle with? Because marriage isn't gonna change that. Marriage isn't gonna instantly cure you of your addiction, whatever it may be. In fact, because you're going to be spending more time with somebody, the things that you may not even recognize as sin habits in your life are probably gonna be elevated. And this person's gonna go, well, you struggle with this. I didn't, I, I didn't know that you did it. Those things are gonna rise up. And if you're not in the practice of contending against your sin, of dealing with your toxic habits, then your struggles and your sins, when they become more visible, are going to be more difficult to deal with. But if you would practice it now, then when it's highlighted in marriage, when he or she says, I can't believe that you're this way, you need to change, biblically you go, oh, yeah. I've been dealing with other things, I've never seen that, thank you for that. Marriage just highlights your struggles, it doesn't cure them. It's just important that you hold on to it. I think, I don't know if your church did this, uh, if they did, I'm not shaming them, but I think we've messed up on the whole like promise ring thing. Um, you know, your youth pastor probably is like, hey, put this promise ring on so that just you declare to the world that you're saving yourself for marriage. Um, here's, the, here's the problem with that. You don't, you don't promise to make good grades. You do what? Work hard to make good grades. You don't, you don't hire a coach and he stands up on the stage like, I promise we're gonna win a national championship. That man would be a fool. Some people have done it. You, you go, I promise that we will prepare that maybe we could. I, I promise we put in the hard work. I, I promise we're gonna do the right things so that we might be able to win a national championship. When you, when you stand up before your friends and family on your wedding day, you will say, I do, I promise. 
But if you haven't done the preparation at that point, you do not. You fail, you stumble, you make this difficult. And so why would you not be preparing for that day now? And, and here's where this gets personal. This is guys and girls, but, but I, I'm a realist. This is probably gonna land on you ladies a little bit stronger. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, half of the people in the room are gonna have that read to them <laughs> or out loud at their wedding. Love is, love is, love is, love is, all of those things. Paul gets to the end of all of that, and this is what he says in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. The foundation of love is down there at the bottom where he says, I used to be this way, but now that I'm thinking about love, I had to put all of those things down because I became a man. And for some of you in the room, you need to put aside the childish fairy tale idea about marriage and get to work. Prince Charming is not gonna come and sweep you off your feet. I'm sorry. There's, there's not a frog out there. I don't know the whole story. I don't know like when they bite the apple. I don't know like what all of that comes alive. Like if, if a dude or a girl, for that matter, has seven dwarfs following around, it scares guys. We're running away from that. <laughs> but, but this is the problem. We have this childish thought about marriage and relationships. And the Bible calls you to something so much higher. It's the most important relationship that we have. Are you preparing for it? Now, let's push this a little bit deeper. In your preparation, here's some things that you need to do. Check your dating pattern. Second one. Proverbs 14, 15, the inexperienced one believes anything, but the sensible one watches his steps. Write it down, Proverbs 14, 15. Are you watching your steps? What is your pattern of dating? And this is what I know to be true. Some of you in this room date passive people because you've had controlling parents and you wanna get out from underneath that. You don't wanna be led anymore. Some of you in this room, if the, if, if the person likes you more than you like them, you're good. But the moment that you start liking somebody more than they like you, you run away because you've lost control. You go like, hey, I'm starting to like this person too much. Like if, if this ends, I'm gonna get hurt. And so I'm gonna go ahead and run away from that right now. I'm gonna date you as long as I think that I have more control. I'm gonna date you as long as you like me more than I like you because then I know you won't leave me. But otherwise, I, I'm, I'm out. Some of you think badly about yourselves, and so you let other people treat you that way. Your, your self-esteem has been squashed by any number of reasons, and you allow dating relationships to continue to allow that to happen. Some of you are so afraid of loss that you will allow people to step outside of your boundaries that you have biblically prescribed to your own life, you'll allow them to go way past those boundaries just so that you can keep that person in your life. Some of you ladies will say to me, man, all guys are jerks. Every guy that I've dated, and I'm gonna go, you're the common denominator, you just date jerks. Because I, I hope that the prescription is not all guys are jerks. If, if that's true, then we should just toss out all the marriage stuff in the Bible. Go the other side. You, you guys are like, all girls think about is their looks. They're all stuck up. Same thing. That's just who you chose to date. You're looking in the wrong crowd. What does what your dating history look like? 
but check that dating pattern and in spaces that it needs to shift, then shift it. The next one is this. You have got to elevate your priorities. Make the, when we talk about the Shema, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm dying. When you talk about the, <clears throat> the Lord doesn't want me to say that. When you, when we talk about the Shema being your foundation and everything else is built upon that, then, then your measure becomes Jesus. And some of your priorities are, are a little bit broken. Can I, can I give you this little simple truth? People don't get divorced because of hair color. If you're like, she's gotta be blonde. It's a weird priority. Let's go this way. What if your dating priority was Jesus is their first love, not I love their clothes? What, what if your priority is they must belong to a local church, not they have to drive a certain car? What if your priority was, man, they are humble, not just like funny? What if your priority is this person must have a strong character, not just like blue eyes? The, the Lord has made you, like designed within you some attraction stuff, but, but what if you elevated your priorities? What if it was like, hey, they, they value marriage, not just running after a paycheck? Proverbs 12, four, a wife of noble character is her husband's crown. Not how does she look, not how does she dress, not what does she drive, that's not a thing in Proverbs, not what horse does she have, I guess. His crown is a wife of noble character. But a wife who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. And so often we will check the outside boxes first. But, but the inside is the thing that is going to stick around the whole time. Do you understand? You've seen it in your parents. You've seen it in your grandparents. That look. You, you ever do that? Like you go to your grandparents' house and you see their wedding photo. And you go, whoa, Papa. What happened? <laughs> it's true, right? The only thing that's going to stick around with you in that marriage is what's on the inside. Everything else is going to fade. What if your priorities look like that also? We have to elevate our priorities. And in fact, like you need that Ephesians 5, that Colossians 3. You need those type of people like running around with the type of people that are sacrificing, the type of people that are laying down, the type of people that are loving, the type of people that are not harsh. And, and here's a really good point about our priorities. Your priorities in life are often based off of feelings. And you know where your feelings come from? From your heart. And you know what Jeremiah says about your heart? It is more deceitful than anything else. And then he says it's incurable. That's encouraging. It is incurable. Who can understand it? We can't. Elevate your priorities outside of your feelings. Make that your foundation. And then this one, this one's so important. It's why we do church. Identify your people. Proverbs 24, verse six, for you should wage war with sound guidance. Victory comes with many counselors. Who are your people? What trusted voices do you have in your life? Not just people pleasers who are gonna tell you what you need to hear. Those who are going to say hard things, who are going to speak the truth in love to you. This is Hebrews 12. We, we talked about this verse last week in Bible study. We're gonna get there you know, in a couple weeks on Sunday night. 
Verse 12 of Hebrews 3, watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be any in you, so there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Sin is a liar. It is a deceiver. And the, the, the battle against that is surround yourself with people who speak the truth and who speak the truth passionately, who speak the truth in love, who want what's best for you based off of God's word, not based off of their own personal preference or your own. They go after you combating the deceitfulness of sin with God's truth. It's the only weapon that we have. But Proverbs 18.1, the one who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom. Fighting against all sound judgment is, is like, basically you're just ignoring red flags, being by yourself instead of surrounding yourself with people who are going to encourage you. And you, you wanna use this excuse, but like, like we're in love and your friends are going, he's a jerk, but, but I love him. And, and hear me, ending a relationship is hard. Ending a relationship early may be hard, but moving out from an abusive husband into an apartment with a two-year-old is a lot harder. And so surround yourself with people that you trust that are gonna speak into your life to go, this is not it. This is not what I believe God has for you. And not just like one person who kind of hates the fact that you're dating because they're losing a friend. That's a terrible play. But a group of people who would go, I see this, maybe you should be cautious. I see this, maybe you should be cautious. Your parents come to you and they know you better than anybody. They go, hey, I don't like him or her. Surround yourself with people and then, and then trust them. Trust that God is using them. If you've surrounded yourself with the right people, he's gonna often do that. And then lastly, what, what's your next step? What, what's your plan? As you're prepared, you've, you've looked at your previous dating habits, you've, you've you kind of checked some stuff at the door, hey, where's my hangups, where's my sin issues, where am I like, not walking in forgiveness, I'm, I'm elevating my priorities, these are the things that I need to be looking for, I'm surrounding myself with people that I think have my back, I'm listening to them, and so now what? What's, what's my plan? And I would say this, in your current life stage, if you think that you're ready for marriage in the near future, then I think you're ready to start dating. But in your current life stage, if you would go, I, I'm not ready to be married. That, that's not a step that I think I'm ready to take anytime soon. Then take dating off the table. Because here's the thing, Christian dating is not fun. I just wanna say that out loud and as honestly as I can. Christian dating is not fun compared to marriage. Unbelievers that date, they have fun. They leave the party at 10 o'clock, they're probably gonna go home and have sex with each other. Christians, you go, I leave the party at 10 o'clock and I have to high five my girlfriend. <laughs> it's not really that fun. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> I, I, I'm just being honest, it's not. And so this is, this is where Luke 14, 28 comes alive. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Which of you wanting to get married doesn't sit down and first understand what it's gonna cost you to get to that point? Which of you wanting to get married wants to get into a relationship with somebody that you really love but wait five years? You know how hard that is for people like that? It's unbelievably difficult. I don't think it's God's design. You wanna go back to that engagement thing, that engagement ring that 
proclaimed ownership to the Egyptians and to the Greeks, that period of ownership couldn't be longer than a year. It's longer than a year you were out. And so you're like, I know he's the one, get engaged. I know she's the one for me. You're gonna come to me and be like, have you prayed about it? What's your community say about it? We've only been dating for six months, but they love her. Then run, bro. I can get you through premarital in six weeks. Can you plan a wedding? You're like, whoa, that's quick. Amen is what you should have said. <laughs> but this is the question. If, if you are jumping from dating relationship to dating relationship, you are just playing a game with people. And I don't think that you're dating in a way that honors God in any way, shape, or form. And there is something in your life that you need to check. There's something in your life that you need to invite other people into to speak into. But if you're ready for marriage, then know like sort of what the average is. I don't necessarily care about averages. But I think what God has called you to, and you step into that, and you identify this person, and you take these quick steps, otherwise you fall into the pattern that is the world right now. The average person before they get married dates 38 people. 38 to find Mr. or Mrs. Right. Some of you are like, I'm at zero, I got some work to do. And whoever just said amen, stop that. Um, but in your current state, most of you if you would check these boxes, you would go, man, I've been preparing. I think I'm in a good spot, honestly. My dating pattern wasn't great, but I've corrected some of those things. I've elevated my priorities. John, some of the things that you listed, I've already listed those things. I've identified my people. I'm surrounded by people. I'm ready for my next step. The average is about six months for you. You're gonna step into that. Man, I'm praying that the Lord does that. And he raises up strong men and women into marriages that radically just rock the world if you are ready for that. But here's, here's what I see most of the time. You're one of two people. You're the type of person like me that needs something. And the mall has the thing that I need. And so I pull up at the mall and I walk in and I find the map. And the map tells me where I'm going. And so I run to that store and I get into the store and I go, it's this one thing. And I grab that one thing and I pay for it and then I V-line back out to my car and I get it and I leave them all. Done. Versus the other side of it, where you go, you wanna go to the mall today, hang out? You don't need to look at the map, we're just going to the mall and we're gonna start at the first store on the left and we're gonna work our way around clockwise on the first floor and then maybe the second floor if it's big enough. And I'm gonna stop at every store and I'm probably gonna try on something. I have zero intention to buy it because what if I spend my money here and there's something better next? And so I'm gonna hit every store. I'm gonna see how I look with every little thing on. I'm gonna try the pretzels. I'm gonna get some, some expensive coffee. If the Dippin' Dot stand is still open, then I'm gonna hit that. Otherwise, I'm gonna go to the vending machine that produces the Dippin' Dots. Ice cream of the future is still weird that that's their slogan. Been around for like 40 years. <laughs> you go to the mall and you, you work your way through the entire mall and you try on all of the clothes. Does this look good? It looks pretty good, but maybe there's something else. And you go to the next thing, and you leave the mall tired, but you've experienced everything. You bought nothing. This is what we often see. Does it look good on me? Yeah, it may or may not work. On to the next. You're not gonna pick it, because you know there's 100 stores in line with a lot of options left for you. 
And this is not what God has prescribed. Now, now I'm not saying that, that you should just wait for the Holy Spirit to, to bring that guy into the room and it just says husband over his head just flashing. I'm not saying, guys, that you just like caveman this thing, like attractive, and just drag her off. And that's, not, that's not the prescription. Um, we're we're going to talk about sort of what this looks like next week, kind of the more practical aspect of dating, but this is what you need to be doing. You need to be waiting well and not elevating marriage to the point that if it doesn't happen in the next six months, that you're just a wreck. You need to have your priorities to the point that you're seeing Jesus more clearly than you are the opposite sex. You need to have the type of relationship that when you go to bed at night, you're not frustrated because he didn't ask you out. You're frustrated because you didn't experience Christ more clearly that day. You need, to, you need to rest in the fact that Jesus is doing an incredible work in and through you that's echoing into all the spaces of your life more so than you're resting on the fact that you have a date this weekend. In seasons of waiting, which almost all of you in this room are in, are you waiting well? And I, we need to go back to the very beginning. For those of you that haven't waited well, that you're in a season where you're not, this is actually pretty simple. Jesus died for that. His blood covers those things. And the shame that the enemy is holding over your head is affecting all of your relationships, and that shame is no more. But you're walking in it, and the enemy is using it, and you need to let those things go. And part of that is dealing with it out loud. Part of it is dealing with unforgiveness in your past. It's contending with it. And really, the only way that you do that is to invite people in to run with you. And so quit running this race alone. Invite Jesus into it first. Invite other people to run with you second. And experience the healing that is found in waiting and the preparation for what is the greatest earthly relationship that God's gonna put you in one day, marriage. And marriage is the most beautiful reflection of the gospel that we have on this planet. The same way that Christ loves the church, the husband is to love the wife, and the world is watching, and so you gotta get it right. Let me pray for you. And we're gonna worship and respond. God, we can, we can clearly say, I can clearly say, and I can see students that walk in this too, like this is difficult. God, and so I, I speak against like a, a spirit of shame that is resting on some people, a spirit of guilt that is resting on people, a spirit of anxiety that is resting on some people, a, a lack of hope that is resting on some people, a, a definition of marriage that was broken by parents, and so they have a fear of that that is resting on people. And recognize that those things are from the enemy. Like there are moments that you use that to course correct us, but the continual walking in it is from the enemy, and so it doesn't have a place. And so would you bring healing by your spirit in those areas? Would we release those things, whether we just have to sit in our chair and open our hands and say, God, take them, or just surround ourselves with friends to continue to run in that? And, and not, like I love that, that the healing that you bring brings freedom to us, yes. And we need that, but more so wrapped up in the idea that the gospel is way too important for us to walk in the shame. The gospel is way too important for us to not get this right. And so we thank you that we're created for relationships. We hate that sin has broken those relationships, but we love that Jesus has made a way to make them right. And so would we run in it? God, you're better. 
you're better than marriage. Like, I'm glad that I can say that, but it's a good gift. You're better than the next dating relationship, but that, that's a good thing too if we do it right. And so would you rearrange our priorities by your spirit? Would we find healing tonight? And would we be men and women in a room that approach dating in a biblical manner that reflects to the world the unique hope that we have in Jesus, that that's our ultimate satisfaction and we're just begging him to use relationships for his glory. And so would you do that? We trust that you can. Would you give us a boldness to respond, to say hard things, to confess difficult things, to find healing in those spaces tonight? Only you can. So tonight we're gonna sing a little bit and there's freedom in this room. I need to speak this over you. Now, if you need to respond and grab somebody, you have the ability to go out any door, to go to any room, to any space in here and contend. If you just need to, to come up here and make this, this space an altar to physically lay down some things in that posture, then please do that. Uh, you'll see even scattered throughout, this is not a command to our leaders, but you're gonna know who our leaders are. Grab one of them, be like, I don't know you, but I need to chat about this. Um, we do this series, just a two week break to give you the opportunity to deal with some of these things because it's really important. So don't miss the opportunity to deal with those things out loud. We're gonna sing a couple of songs and then I'll close this again with a little bit more directions here in a minute, but move as you see and as you feel the spirit calling you to move. We pray.